Thanks for your interest in Emmanuel Baptist. Here at Emmanuel, we believe in the one and only authoritative text for guidance, the Holy Bible. We pray that this sermon will speak to your heart and open your eyes to the glory of God. Make sure you plug into your local church and get to know others that love the Holy Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, just like you. Thanks again, and God bless you guys. I think sometimes we might get carried away uh, with applying the term great to something or someone. We ascribe greatness to an athlete or to a, a movie star or to possessions or to food. Now, he's a great ball player. She's a great actress. That's a great car. That was a great meal. The reality is that all those things come and go. In a few years, who remember those? Well, they're really all that great. Let's think about people during Jesus' time. During the first century, when Jesus was alive, who remembers the greatest athlete in Rome? Or the greatest or the biggest sex symbol in Galatia? Who remembers the mayor of Thessalonica? Or the richest men in Jerusalem? Who was a teenage heartthrob in Nazareth? Who knows? Who cares? History validates the question of the greatness, the greatness of Jesus. He alone is without peer. Every time I go to my desk in the mornings, especially, and open my day timer, or you turn on the computer, or you peel off one of those uh, day, page-per-day calendars, Every time you do that, it flashes the date, and though I might not realize it or not, or you realize it or not, it's a testimony to the greatness of Jesus Christ, an acknowledgement of his birth. Everything in history we call B.C. or A.D. It's amazing that everything that happens on this planet falls in those two categories. It's either before Christ, B.C., or the year of our Lord, Anno Domini, A.D., he separates history, B.C. or A.D. So when it comes, comes down to it, the most important question you'll ever need to answer is this. The, import, the other important question is, too, this is the most important question. Who is Jesus? So many people think they know. But what is their answer based upon? Often, too often it's based upon fuzzy ideas they get from TV talk shows or Sunday school memories or their own opinions. The best way to get started is to read the parts of the Bible written to give us that answer. This passage is one of those passages. We owe it to ourselves to read and understand. See, I think the Gospel of John provides some of the clearest explanations of who he was, who he claimed to be, and what he asked of his followers, you and me. I mentioned last week as I started this series in John about uh, an art gallery, as we mentioned last week. I mentioned last week about going to see the artwork of Newman Rockwell there in, in Western Mass. But, but So I'm, we're pretending like we're looking in the art gallery of the Apostle John in this uh, uh, gospel here, and we're at this first portrait here of Jesus, this first one, walk in, this prologue of John 1, 1 to 18. And I think this first portrait of Jesus sets the stage the rest of John's gospel. He's really painting a picture, who is this Jesus? 
I think John is saying at least three things here. The first thing he's saying, Jesus is the eternal, life-giving creator. Look at verses 1 through 5 again with me. John writes, the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The darkness shines, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So verses 1 and 2, John immediately says, Jesus is God. That's pretty bold. Pretty straightforward. He is the eternal, pre-existent deity. He is God. Now, it doesn't say in those verses, Jesus will get that connection in verse 14 and later on, but we know that what it means. John is saying that Jesus existed, is God. We saw that some weeks ago in Philippians chapter 2. And as even as I read the first verse, in the beginning was the word, what comes to your mind immediately? Genesis 1.1. I think everybody that knows anything in the world knows Genesis 1.1. Even all the heathens, all the, the Buddhists, and all the Hindus, they all know in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. I think that's the most famous probably phrase in all of history. Everybody knows that. And this, so when John writes this, we, we go immediately back to Genesis 1.1, the origin of all things. I was four years out of college before I went to seminary. And I was excited to go to seminary for a number of reasons. One, I was excited to go and study Greek, to read the Bible in its original language. I was looking forward to that. And it was my third semester before I could get into the Greek class. And, and, and to, it's, technically, it's called elementary Greek. You have elementary Greek and New Testament Greek. Elementary Greek has a nickname. It's called baby Greek. And I found out pretty soon what baby Greek means. It means you stay up all night and cry like a baby. That's when you're studying it. That's the... It starts easy and gets really hard. But I remember Dr. Cranford's my professor. I remember the first day. I'll never forget the first day of class. I was excited, you know, going to get into the Bible. And, and, and he, he, he quotes uh, John 1.1. 1, 1. The beginning was the word, the logos, and the word was with God. The word with is pros, spelled P-R-O-S. That means not just with, it means face-to-face -face with that the word was face-to-face -face with God. I went, whoa, that's good stuff. The word was face-to-face. -face. What God was, the word was. Wow. John's saying the word was God, the word is God. In the beginning, he was with God. In verse 3, all things were made through him, the word, and without him was not anything made that was made. He's saying that he is the creator. Do I have that up there? No. Okay. He's saying that this word, we know in a few minutes, is Jesus is the creator. He was there before anything. He created everything. Everything was made through him. Now listen to this passage from Colossians 1, 6 and 7. Another top 100. Colossians 1, 16 and 17, Paul writes, For by him, meaning Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, with the thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
Paul is saying Jesus is the creator. Now, I'm not a scientist. Um, I can't even say I play one on TV because I don't do that either. But uh, help me. If you're a scientific oriented, maybe you can help me out a little bit. But one of the, 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 the foundational parts of the, of the universe is the atom, right? And you have the, uh, the nucleus in the middle, which is no charge. Then you have uh, uh, protons, right, which is positive charge. And you got electrons. I guess not. I'm, uh, so far, so good. Okay, so far. So you got electrons, so which are negatively charged, and protons, which are positively charged. And what happens with magnets when you got something negative, something positive? What happens? They attract. They come together. So why doesn't the atom come together? How how come the, the electrons go around the atom with that positive charge on the inside and negative charge on the outside? So how does it just come fall upon itself? I don't know. But Paul gives us a hint in Colossians. He says, and in him, Jesus, all things hold together. Jesus holds it together. Friends, listen listen to this carefully. If Jesus ever goes on vacation, we're in trouble. The whole universe will fall apart. Now, not only is he the creator, that's not the point here. He's a sustainer. He keeps it together. All through him, all he, he's before all things, he's, Paul says, and him all things hold together. And this passage here, uh, in Colossians and also in John 1, and especially in Genesis, we have this Christian doctrine, this Christian belief that God created everything out of nothing. His words fail me here. You can't, even use, you can't even say before creation, because before creation there's no time, and before is a time word. But at, at some point, <laughs> there was nothing, and out of nothing, God created the whole cosmos, the space, time, energy, um, continuum, space, time, matter, something else. All at one, out of nothing, he created that. So that, this is, and Jesus is the one. He is God. So Jesus is the eternal, life-giving creator God. He is God in verses 1 and 2. He is the creator in verse 3. Look at verse 4 and 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. Now, this is life. This is the word zoe, which means in many ways eternal life. Now, when we think of eternal life, eternal means not terminal, we think of the life that goes on forever, and that's not incorrect. But I think eternal life is more than just life that goes on forever. It's the God kind of life. Only God has eternal life, and he gives it to believers. So it's a God kind of life that lasts forever. Eternal life is that kind of life which God gives. What Jesus offers us from God is God's own life. This light he talks about here, light. This light puts chaos to flight. It's a revealing light. It's a guiding light. And and you've all experienced being in a dark room, you just light a candle or a flashlight, and everything brightens up. So we got a dark world, and Jesus is the light, and he lightens everything. You can see everything. You can see who God is. God guides us. Darkness. Darkness is, a, is hostile light. It's, it's that, that natural sphere of those who hate the good. Ignorance, perhaps, and especially willful ignorance. 
of Jesus Christ. We were at our, a class that I lead in, at Grace Fellowship, apologetics class, and we had some prayer concerns. And one was a, a gentleman in our church has, whose father is uh, not doing well. In fact, he's dying. And, and they said, pray for him. His name was, was it Bob Karen? Was his name Bob? It was uh, Jim's father, Bob. And, and they said, you know, pray for him. He has had the gospel shared so many times with him over and over and over again. He knows the gospel intellectually. But as far as you know, he's never been a profession of faith. He's never accepted the gospel. He, that's really willful <laughs> ignorance of Jesus Christ. That's what the darkness is. This man is in darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Different ways you could translate that word, overcome it, comprehend it, understand it. Uh, the darkness will never understand the light. The darkness will never overcome the light. It will never comprehend the light. You see, what, what John is saying in these first five verses, that Jesus is the Word, the pre-existent God, the creator of everything. He is life. If you don't have life, I mean, if you don't have Jesus, you don't have any kind of life. John continues. Let's go down to verse 14. Jesus is God come in the flesh. Look at verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. This is a powerful verse. He became flesh and dwelt among us. And we discussed this on Wednesday night on Philippians 2, how he took on flesh. That's what Christmas is about. When Jesus, the Son of God, took on human flesh, the incarnation, uh, conceived in Mary's womb. We we celebrate his birth at Christmas time. He dwelt. He he took up residence. The, The word literally means he tabernacled. He pitched his tent. I like the way Eugene Peterson uh, paraphrases his verse in the message. He says, uh, he moved into the neighborhood. I like that. He came and lived among us. And we think about the tabernacle in the Old Testament. The tabernacle was right in the middle of all of Israel, all 12 tribes around that calls God wanted to live in the midst of his people. He tabernacled, he pitched his tent in, in our midst. He moved into the neighborhood. Then he says, we have seen his glory. Now, again, in the tabernacle, when, when they finished building the tabernacle in the book of Exodus, and they had everything built, and, and they were consecrating it so God could move in, Shekinah glory was all over it, the glory of the Father. It, it was the Shekinah glory, glory. Then he talks about grace, and grace is undeserved favor or charm. This is what Jesus did, full of grace and truth. And then verse 16, from his, from, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. One wonder after another, grace upon grace, just abundantly so, abundantly so. By the way, the Amplified Bible translates this verse. It says, for out of his fullness, abundance, we all received. All had a share and we're all supplied with one grace after another and spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, even favor upon favor and gift heaped upon gift. I like that. Then he contrasts this with Moses, verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
Now, we think of Moses, we think of the great lawgiver bringing down the, the tablets with the Ten Commandments on and the great, the great lawgiver. And, but, you know, you can really separate the law from Moses. I guess anybody could have brought the law tablets down. You know, we give credit to Moses, but, but um, we could separate. But with Jesus, he has grace and truth. He, he came and brought grace and truth. You cannot separate grace and truth from Jesus. It, it goes together. Now, some think that God is all truth, okay? If we, if we just think of, G, of God as just truth, what results in that is a relationship with God is replaced with rule following. We've got to keep the laws. And you're not. You're a sinner. That can get very much into legalism. That's what the Pharisees are doing. They had a lot of truth, but all it was is truth. It says, God is seen as a stern judge here who in his holiness must be feared and obeyed without question. Kind of sounds like the Muslim Allah, doesn't it? This is an overemphasis on my part in earning my salvation and an underemphasis on what God's doing. If all we stress is truth. Now, the opposite of this, some think God is all grace. All grace. And the results there is, I do what I want, and God loves me, and God will forgive me. God simply becomes, you know, the, the man upstairs or, or the big guy. You've heard those phrases before, haven't you? Uh, it's an overemphasis on what God is providing in the relationship and, and salvation and, and an underemphasis on my part in living a holy life and repenting of sins. See, Jesus Christ is the representation of God in human form. He brings us grace and truth, both of those. Do you remember, I don't watch much TV anymore, but back in the day, remember the old light beer commercials? Less feeling, tastes great. Less feeling, tastes great. The, the implication was a beer can't have both those. It, it either has to be less filling or it can't taste great too. If it tastes great, it can't be less filling. And of course, I forgot who it was, Miller, or who it was, so you can have both. That, 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 was, that was emphasis in the advertisement. And I think the same thing here about great, Jesus. He is full of grace and full of truth. He is less filling <laughs> and tastes great. That's a week. I know that's a week. But Jesus is full of grace, 100%, and full of truth, 100%. He gives us the reason for encouragement in our spiritual journey. He gives us grace, but he also gives us accountability too. There is truth there in our life. And they keep growing toward the goal of becoming more and more like him. Sometimes we need his grace more than truth, sometimes. Sometimes we need his truth more than his grace, however hard that might be. Then verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Literally, at the Father's side is in the bosom of the Father. This is, this is talking about intimacy. Jesus, the second person of Trinity, was, was intimate with the Father. And we saw in verse, verse 1 and 2 and 3 that the Word was with God, and, and he is beside God. He is in the bosom of the Father. It's intimacy there. See, Jesus shows us what God is like. So if someone says, you know, what is God like? The answer is, look at Jesus. 
Uh, I think we get that mixed up sometimes, but we need to look at Jesus, what God's like. That there was a, a little girl, I guess it was in Sunday school, and, and I guess we're talking about these theological terms. They didn't use those, those kind of terms, but, but, but um, who is Jesus? And she said, Jesus is God with skin on his face. Because you can't see God, can you? The Father is not a physical body, but Jesus is. Jesus is God in the flesh. He is God with skin on his face. That's exactly right. She needs to go to seminary. So Jesus took on flesh and became human. He became the God-man, full of grace, full of truth, and he showed us the Father. Amen. So Jesus is eternal, life-giving, creator God, and Jesus is God come in the flesh. Third, how we'd respond to this Jesus, verses 6 the 13. Look at verse, first of all, let's, let's look at verse 10. He, the word, Jesus, he was in the world. Remember, he moved to the neighborhood. He was in the world. The world was made through him. He's a creator, yet the world did not know him. How ironic. He made the world. He came into the world, and the world didn't know who he was. In fact, really ignored him. The story is told of Cary Grant. Remember him? Great actor. Oh, I can't say that, can I? Um, one day, he was bumped to a man in the street. The man looked at Cary Grant and recognized him. Of course, you would recognize his face. However, he couldn't remember Grant's name. And he said to Grant, you're, you're, no, don't, don't tell me, don't tell me. You're, uh, Rock, uh, no, 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 no. Um, he thought, Cary Grant thought he helped him out. He said, Cary Grant. He said, no, 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 that's not what I did. No, you're, you're, no, you're, you're. So here's Cary Grant staring him in the face. He didn't recognize who Cary Grant was. Here the world is looking Jesus right in the face, and they don't recognize who Jesus is. We see that all through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. I want to see it in, in John 2. Then verse 11. He, Jesus, came to his own and his own people to receive him. Specifically, I think John's saying he came to his own. Well, I think first thing that comes to my mind, he came to the Jews. And the Jews rejected reject him. But he also came to his immediate family. Now, Mary treasured all these things in her heart, but remember in the, in the gospel, especially in John, we'll see his brothers rejected him. Who do you think you are? Now, what if your brother said, I'm God? What do you think about your brother? Okay, so, so his, even his family rejected him. The Jews rejected him. The world rejected him. He came into his own, whatever how you say the own is, and they did not receive him. They rejected him. So there is a tragedy. Did I put that up there? No, okay. Back, 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 back. Okay, okay. They're asleep up there. Okay. Do what? Go back. Yeah. Well, okay. 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 I can do it. Okay. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, okay. Uh, where was I? Yes. The tragedy of rejecting Jesus. Verses ten and thirteen. Now look at twelve and thirteen. Uh, ten and eleven. Twelve and thirteen. There is exaltation in receiving Jesus. Look at twelve and thirteen. Great passage. But, but. Remember, but. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. 
even though the world finally rejected him, the Jews rejected him, the world rejected him, some did receive him. Some did believe in him. Some did recognize who Jesus is and committed their lives to him. Now, his brothers did, at least some of them did. Um, James and Jude did. They wrote books of the Bible, his half-brothers. Others did too. Some Jews, like Paul, Peter, others did receive him, and they committed their lives to him. But notice in verse 13, we receive Jesus not by our own efforts, not by our own works. We receive Jesus by God. God opens our eyes up and gives us the faith to trust in him. Then verse 6 and 8, we haven't skipped over that. There is a privilege of bearing witness concerning Jesus. It's almost a parenthesis here in verses 6 through 8. Six, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, the word, Jesus, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, John the Baptist, but came to bear witness about the light. I'm going to say more about John next week. But here, we're getting a hint of John the Baptist's role. It's, he came on the scene, as you know, to prepare the people. They got people excited about the coming of the Messiah, and he pointed his finger. We'll see next week in, in John uh, 1, 19 and following. This is the lamb that takes with the sin of the world. He, he points his, his finger to Jesus and says, this is the one you have to follow. I'm preaching to you and getting your attention, but don't follow me. I want you to follow him. That's our role. That's our role. We're John the Baptist. We're to point to Jesus so others may believe. There's different ways. We tell, each of us point in different ways. We're all to point in our way to Jesus. So think about what Jesus has done for us. See, the Word, the eternal Word, there before the foundations of the world, before the universe was created, before Genesis 1-1, became flesh. Christmas time. The King of Heaven put aside His heavenly robes and His divine prerogatives. We'll see that in Philippians 2. He came to us as one of us, as a human. He lived among us. He, he ate with us. He drank with us. He felt with us. And he did all this to, to win our love. Now, friends, think about this with me. Now, he, he could have come and forced himself upon us. He could have overwhelmed us. But he chose to romance us. And he stands even here today, even here today, with his, uh, a smile of love and his, and his arms extended to you and to me and to the world. He is the God who became real so we could experience his transforming love. Jesus is not just a truth to believe in. He's a person to experience. So where are you today? If I would ask you this question, I guess I am asking this question, who is Jesus? What would you say? Perhaps you say, he's the eternal, life-giving creator God. Great. Perhaps you say, he's God come in the flesh. Great. But can you say, he is my Lord and Savior? Let's pray. Father, thank you for just the, the privilege to stand up here a few minutes and, and, and flap my gums. 
about these eternal truths, just tremendous truth, these 18 verses about the word, about Jesus. And I've just, uh, thank you for letting me say this. We think of the truths that are here, all deep truths here, Father, of who Jesus is. But not just intellectually, not just in doctrine, not just in factual things, as, as good as, as they are. Thank you that we can experience you through Jesus personally. Have a personal relationship. Have our, our sins forgiven and be invited into your forever family and giving us your Holy Spirit. Reserve a place in heaven for us for all eternity with us and with the body of Christ. Grace upon grace, truth and grace. We praise you for who you are, what you've done, what you're doing, what you will do. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.